Amen. All righty, we're going to go ahead and jump right on into our study this evening and be looking at the ancient city of Megiddo. Uh, now, as we get ready to get started here, I get, got my pointer here. We were trying to figure out because uh, Joel was telling me, he said, Dad, you make it challenging for me to live stream with you using that pointer. So just before the service, we were trying to work with the cameras and get it adjusted in so that he could see my pointer on the screen. And Hot Rod had an, an amazing idea. He said, Pastor John, why don't you just get a paintball gun and you just shoot where you want them to look? <laughs> I said, I like that idea. I think that'll work out real good. And I told him, I said, if I see you sleeping, I shoot you too. But uh, anyway... <laughs> Anyway, we're going to be looking at the ancient city of Megiddo, just trying to share with you some of what I've seen while I was there in Israel, and then, of course, making biblical applications and looking at how this applies. And boy, I'm telling you one thing that this study does, one thing myself visiting Israel did, and one thing this study does is confirms that this book can be counted on. It can be relied on. There are a lot of false religions who have written their own books, but you cannot line what they've got to say up with any archaeological evidence anywhere. But this book lines up, and over and over and over again we see this book lining up with the Holy Land. And so as we look at this tonight, we'll see quite a bit of that. Last week, we began our study of Israel uh, in the village of Nazareth, which is right up here. So we started here in Nazareth, and we looked at quite a few things in Nazareth. Uh, this evening, uh, we're going to be traveling south to the city of Megiddo. So here is Nazareth. Right through here is the Jezreel Valley, and we've talked about the Jezreel Valley a good bit. We travel from Nazareth down here and around to the city of Megiddo. So Nazareth is north of the Jezreel Valley. The ghetto is south of the Jezreel Valley. And they kind of face each other across the valley. And so we'll be looking at some of that in just a little bit. And we'll be looking at some of the scriptural significance of this city of Megiddo. Let's go to Lord in prayer. We'll get started. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I do thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, although, Lord, we can read your word and Lord, we can believe it by faith and Lord, we can put our trust in you. I thank you, dear Lord, that you have given us confirmation of your word. I thank you, dear Lord, that you have preserved so many spots and so many locations, oh Lord, that verify, uh, Lord, the truth of your word. And Father, I thank you for it. Lord, as we go through these pictures and Lord, as we talk about these places in the land of Israel, Father, I pray that it'll confirm to us uh, the truth of your word. I pray, dear Lord, that it will open to us uh, an understanding of your word. And Father, Lord, that when we read your word, whether it be in our personal devotion, whether it be in preparation uh, to, to share a lesson or whatever it may be, Father, I pray that these lessons over uh, the next few weeks, Lord, will make your word come alive to us. And Father, we'll thank you for it. Bless us now throughout this service. Uh, be with the children's program downstairs. Be with the teen uh, meeting downstairs, Lord. Be with all those that are working down there. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. Bless us now as we look into your word and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So what we have here, the first thing that we're going to look at is the ancient city of Megiddo. And I got a picture here of the ancient city of Megiddo. That's an aerial picture. I have to be honest, I did not take that picture. I wasn't in an airplane while I was over there, but I did find this picture. And this is the ancient city of Megiddo as it sets today. Uh, take special note of this right here. We'll be looking at this later. This is a cistern, a water cistern. Uh, and it goes and comes out over here on the highway over here. You'll be wanting to remember that later on. But this is the city of Megiddo. Here's the main highway that goes through. 
so this is the city of Megiddo as it sets today, the ancient ruins. They call uh, Megiddo Tell Megiddo. And the reason they call them a tell is these things are all through uh, the land of Israel is a city would be built and then that city would be conquered and whoever conquered it would build another city on top of it. And this would continue to happen over and over again until they formed a man-made mountain. And boy, you can spot a tail, as they call it. I was laughing. I don't know that this is actually what it means, but I told my wife, I said, they call them a tail because you can tell they're a tail. I mean, it's very easy to spot them, but you'll see these square hills. And what they are is ancient cities that have been covered up and forgotten, and now they're just a square mountain. Well, Megiddo is tail Megiddo, and such is how it used to look, and they came in and began to excavate it, and uh, boy, I'm telling you what, they have just unearthed so many things at uh, Megiddo. But the first thing we want to look at concerning Megiddo is the location. I pointed out a little bit on the map there, but I've got a couple pictures that will make this clear. Last week, next picture, we uh, looked at Nazareth here. We was at the precipice, and we looked across the Jezreel Valley. So this is Nazareth looking south, okay? So uh, you can see over here, here's Nazareth looking south towards Megiddo. So here we are in Nazareth looking south. At the next picture uh, is from Megiddo looking north. So this is Megiddo looking north back towards Nazareth. So that kind of gives you a visual of this area here. So this is the Jezreel Valley laying between that you're looking at right here. This is Megiddo looking north to Nazareth. The other picture was Nazareth looking south to Megiddo. So that gives you an idea of how the Jezreel Valley lays in there and the size of the Jezreel Valley. And that really doesn't do justice. I mean, it's, uh, at either of those viewpoints, it's as far as you can see left or right, the valley goes. As far as you can see, it's an enormous uh, valley. So that gives us an idea of the location of Megiddo. The second thing that we want to look at is the age of Megiddo. And we'll, get, we'll go through some of these things a little bit quickly and then we'll get to some Bible application. But the age of Megiddo, so when we visited Megiddo, of course they had a visitor center there. And in the visitor center they had a chart, and I believe I've got that chart there. Uh, this chart here was on the wall. So this is this chart and then I took and cut the chart in half and put the bottom here and the top here so hopefully y'all will be able to see it a little bit, uh, but what this chart shows is when they came in and began to excavate Tel Megiddo, they began to unearth layers of uh, civilization. And this right here, this chart records 22 layers of civilization that they uncovered. And so they can tell by the type of vessels that were used, the type of construction that was used uh, when this was built. And so they uncover, and, and of course, they, as they begin to uncover, they, they say, well, this had to be from this time period, this had to be from this time period, so forth and so on. Of course, this top one right here is present day. Uh, and they unearthed all the way down uh, to the Canaanite period. They uh, said that there are 30 layers that they have unearthed, 22 layers they have identified uh, of people that built cities, tore the city down, built another city, tore the city down, built another city. And so we have here all the way back from the Canaanite period, which the Canaanite period was Abraham's day, that's Abraham's era, all the way to present day. Uh, so the, the history of Megiddo uh, goes as far back, as I said, to Abraham's era, and it goes as far forward to the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. If you remember that, the Jews were taken into captivity. They came back and they find that Megiddo was reconstructed 
Once they came back from Babylonian captivity. This is an ancient city with a rich history. The next picture I have here shows different levels of excavation. Now, I don't know if you can see this, uh, but this was one area where our tour guide took us to kind of show us the levels. It was just a place where it had been cut out. Uh, if you see all this green dirt over here, all that used to be here. So they come in with an excavator, they just dig the dirt out, and they piled it over here. But if you look here, uh, you can see there's dirt, then there's a layer of stone. Here's dirt, here's a layer of stone. Here's dirt, here's a layer of stone. If you look here, you see this layer of stone uh, is a foundation, and that's what each of these are, is foundations of cities. And it just keeps going. 30 layers deep, they have city, dirt, city, dirt. One built upon another one uh, as high as you can go. The, the next uh, slide that I have here is they've done some restoration, uh, and this is the gate of the city uh, that is from the Canaanite period. So this is all the way back. This would have been in Abraham's era. Uh, this is the gate of the city that's been uncovered. Uh, if you look right there, you see that board right there? My hand's not real steady, but you see that board right there? So what they do, another board right here. So what's below the board is how it was uncovered. What's above the board is what they replaced, what they restored. Uh, and so this is would have been the foundation of the city in Abraham's day. Now, and I think I mentioned this uh, earlier looking at something else. The reason all you find is the foundations is because the majority of the city was built out of mud brick. And so the mud brick would eventually decay and deteriorate, and that's what filled the city in was the mud brick turning back to mud. So when they excavate, you don't find the mud brick, uh, but you do find the foundations. And so this is how they discovered it as they unearthed it. Uh, this is the foundation of Megiddo all the way back in the Canaanite period. Uh, the next picture is uh, some stairs from the Canaanite period that would have been going up into the temple. So once you come through the gate, you would have went up into a temple. These are stairs. Uh, that were built there going up into the temple. And I mean, it's just, it's just surreal to think that this existed all the way back when Abraham existed. And uh, uh, here it is. And so these are stairs that would have went up into the temple. The next picture that I have is a gate from Solomon's reign. This is from the kingdom period. Uh, so this gate, uh, there's your pastor standing there getting his picture took. Uh, but this is Solomon's period. So this is many, many levels above uh, where Abraham's gate is. We had to climb up quite a, quite a few steps and get up to this level. They believe this is from Solomon's period. Again, these boards indicate where it was when they found it and what they stacked back up after they discovered it. Uh, but this would have been the gate to the city uh, from Solomon's period. Now the next picture is a model of what Megiddo would have looked like during Solomon's reign. So this is a model of what, the, what it would have looked like during uh, Solomon's reign. Let me get my notes here so I don't forget anything important here. But uh, you see here several things that I want to point out to you. Here is that uh, cistern that I told you to take note of on the aerial picture. These here are stables. Many, many stables here. There's many stables, uh, many as in a lot, not many as in small. There's a lot of stables over here, stables here. All this is stables. Uh, this is one of the royal cities that Solomon built. And as they have did excavation, they have found uh, foundations and ruins of all these uh, buildings here. So 
several interesting discoveries at Megiddo. So we bring you to this point to start giving you some interesting discoveries. The first interesting discovery is Solomon's stables. And so you see the stables there, the stables there. We know from 1 Kings chapter number 9 and verse number 15 that Solomon rebuilt Megiddo. The Bible tells us that Solomon rebuilt it. In 1 Kings 9 and verse number 15, uh, Solomon had... Uh, charged a tax uh, on the people of Israel. And verse number 15 tells us why he raised the taxes. It says, And this is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised, for to build the house of the Lord and his own house, and Milo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. So he raised the taxes to get the money so he could rebuild these cities, and one of the cities that he wanted to rebuild was Megiddo. So we know that Solomon did rebuild Megiddo. We also know that Solomon had many horses. Now we can take a little bit of time and talk about the fact that the Lord told Solomon not to multiply to himself horses, but Solomon disobeyed the Lord uh, in multiplying to himself uh, horses and multiplying to himself wives and so forth, and these things were his downfall. But we do know that Solomon had many horses. In 1 Kings chapter number 4 and verse number 26, the Bible says, And Solomon had... 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. I just do not imagine where he came up with enough hay to feed all them horses. But 40,000 stalls uh, uh, of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. In 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse number 28, the Bible says, And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt. So we know that Solomon rebuilt Megiddo. We know that Solomon had horses. If we return to 1 Kings chapter number 9, we see that one of the reasons for the cities he rebuilt was to have a place to put his horses. It says in 1 Kings 9 and verse number 19, in all the cities of store that Solomon had and cities for his chariots and cities for his horsemen and that which Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his dominion. So we see here uh, that Solomon definitely did rebuild this city. So it's not speculation that Solomon rebuilt it. But because of the artifacts that we have found, we know that this, this level came from Solomon's time period. And lo and behold, on this level, we find the foundations of all these buildings that are all built exactly alike. And, and we begin to study and look at them and put them together and we begin to realize that all these buildings are stables. And then we go to the Word of God and we find out that Solomon rebuilt Megiddo and one of the reasons he rebuilt it was to have a place to put his horses and his horsemen. I don't know if that excites you at all, but that tells me that this book is true. Somebody couldn't have just dreamed up in his mind to write a story about a king building a city to put his horses in and then somebody else go dig up a city that matches exactly with it. It just proves to me that this book is accurate. This next picture uh, is a tablet. They had these stone tablets all around that explain things to you. This is a stone tablet uh, that shows how the stables worked and this is how all those buildings were laid out. There's all these foundations are all over the place. Uh, and you have an entryway here uh, and a walkway, and then the stalls are on either side. Uh, so, you know, it makes sense. You go in here, feed the horses, and come back out. And so that's how all these things are laid out uh, all through there. And the next picture, I believe, uh, shows the, the foundation of one of the stables. As you can see, the foundation here, I wasn't able to get a clear picture, but you can see the, the walls uh, of the foundation. This is one of the stables, and they just line the city, all these stables, and just proves to us that the Bible 
is true. The Bible does uh, prove itself. Uh, so we said that was one very interesting thing we seen in Megiddo. Uh, another interesting discovery there at Megiddo is confirmation of pagan worship. Now we know one of the reasons that God allowed Israel to come in and take over uh, the, the land and to thrust out the Canaanites was because of their ungodly pagan worship. Uh, you remember uh, in the book of Genesis when they went into Egypt, he said that um, their iniquity was not yet full. But whenever he let Israel, led Israel out of Egypt, he led them to the promised land and he said, thrust them out. And now many people question why was God, uh, how was God just in thrusting these people out of their land. The reason he was just is because they refused to repent and he brought judgment on them. And in, their judge, in judging them, he gave to the Israelites uh, their reward. So we have confirmation at Megiddo of pagan Baal worship. This next picture that we have here uh, is the sacred area. So this is the sacred area. This is another of those stone tablets. And this right here is down on the level uh, from Abraham's era. Uh, they find all these ruins that come together uh, and form a temple area. And interestingly enough, ev every level shows uh, that there was... Um, that this area is where every, every uh, ruling nation that used this city built the temple here. That's, that's where all of them built the temple was right there. Uh, and so they come down here and they find this temple area. Now I want you to notice right there. You see that little round altar right there? Right there in the center. And then there's some walls around it and so forth. This next picture shows you this exact altar. Right there is that altar. And then they... Uh, they had the, the walls and these other foundations. Uh, but this is that altar where pagan Baal worship took place. Canaanite worship, Baal worship, pagan worship, distorted two of the most beautiful things that God has ever given humans. Baal worship distorted life, and Baal worship distorted the intimate relationship between husband and wife. Baal worship practiced human sacrifice, sacrificing of infants. Baal worship practiced uh, religious prostitution, distorting two of the most precious things that God has ever given to man. God placed His people in Canaan so they could confront the wickedness of the Canaanites in their Baal worship and in these wicked, evil practices that they did. And archaeologists have uncovered this platform where those ungodly practices would take place. Proof again that the Bible is true. Proof again that the Bible is true. Another interesting discovery in Megiddo uh, was the ingenuity behind the water supply for the city. Now this was just something that was uh, very, very interesting. Uh, this next slide uh, shows uh, another stone tablet. Uh, and on this, it shows how the water supply works. So understanding that Megiddo was a defense city. So Megiddo was built as a place, if the enemy's coming, I can go to Megiddo and they can't get to me. I am safe, nobody can get to me. The problem is when you're on a hill and you're surrounded by walls and you can't get out, if they box you in very long, you're going to run out of water. And once you run out of water, you're whipped. So, how in the world were they going to take care of the water supply? If you look at this drawing here, here is the city wall. This black thing right here is the city wall. Uh, so up here is Tel Megiddo. This is where they would have been staying. 
And so they needed water. They needed water to get in here. Over here in this little drawing you can see, uh, here is that uh, cistern I've pointed out to you a couple of times. Uh, you can see Solomon's stables there. Uh, but anyway, uh, so what they did is they went outside the city and they found a spring here. So they found a natural spring here. And the spring, of course, was running this away. And so they came back into the city and they dug this shaft all the way down into the bedrock. And once they got down into the bedrock, they dug a shaft through the bedrock and out where the spring was. And then the spring, instead of running this away, ran this away and filled up all the way up to this point. So they had water inside the city and they could go down in and deep water and the spring fed the city continually and then they uh, built a wall here to where the enemy couldn't come in and they had a spring that never ran out. I tell you, one thing that amazes me when I look at ancient, uh, ain't the way things were built in ancient times, I say to myself, they were a lot smarter than we were. I'm telling you. I would have said... And there's a spring over yonder, we're going to have to sneak over there and get our water. I don't know that I'd ever thought to dug a hole and a tunnel and back up. And, but boy, they did it. And they got their water, and so their water would come in here, and it would fill up right here, and that's how they had their water in their city. This uh, uh, next picture, I, I had a picture of the model. Again, we can, I was just showing you here is that cistern right here. Uh, so the water would fill up to this level right here. Uh, and you can see these steps. Uh, where they would go down with their buckets and dip their water and bring it back up into the city. And so they had a never-ending water source right here uh, in the city of Megiddo. And now the next uh, couple slides I have are pictures of myself and Melissa going into the cistern. And so here's steps going down in. Of course, they've turned the spring around so it goes the other way again. So it doesn't run in here and fill this up anymore. It runs back the way it used to. Uh, before it was used for water. And so we go down the steps, down into the cistern. Uh, here we're in, we've went through that little door. We're continuing to descend uh, down into the cistern. If you go to the next slide, uh, you can see here as we walk through the tunnel, all the way through the tunnel that goes through. Or here we are coming down. I got these two backwards. Here we are still coming down. It's, it's quite deep, hundreds of feet deep before you get to the bottom of this thing. Uh, and then you go through the tunnel then back up and you can go back out. And so we were able to walk through there. Very interesting. When we went to Megiddo, uh, we, were, we were looking at the city and everything and had just about completed all of the main ruins and they wanted to show us this cistern. And on our way to the cistern, I mean, the sky just turned black and something that's true about Israel is storms just come up without warning. And that's why the disciples were called out on the middle of the sea uh, in a storm would not expecting because storms just come up immediately still to this day. And so we were walking towards the cistern to look at it. I mean, the sky turned black and the rain started to fall and the tour guide's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And we went and got underground and uh, we stayed underground touring this cistern until it quit raining. Then we went out the other side. So it worked out really well. Now, if the spring would have still been running the other way, that wouldn't have worked out so good for us. But uh, we were able to tour that and look at uh, that water system and how uh, that was all tied together. Now, the last thing that I want to look at concerning Megiddo, all this is just interesting facts and things about Megiddo that interest us and, you know, uh, say, wow, that's neat, and it ties back to the Word of God and shows us that the Bible is true, but there are some biblical applications concerning uh, uh, this city of Megiddo. 
And the first thing that, that, so this is the significance. So the first thing that we want to look at here uh, is the role of um, Megiddo as an ancient defense city. Uh, so this next picture here is a picture of the Via Maris. Uh, and I've talk, I talked about this uh, in the first slideshow I showed you when we talked about the way of the sea. Uh, Via Maris is actually Latin for the way of the sea. That is this road right here. So in Bible times, travel from Egypt up or from above down took the Via Maris. That was the main trade route to and from Egypt was the way of the sea. Now you don't see the, the topography on this map as well, uh, but if you remember, there are mountain ranges here, and then there are mountain ranges here. And so when you travel from Egypt, you would come up the way of the sea, up the coastline, and then you would turn here, and then you would go through the Jezreel Valley, up through Galilee, and on up and out of Israel. And so that was the easiest way to travel. So that was the main trade route because of the desert, because of the coastline. If you wanted to go to and from Egypt, you had to follow the Via Maris. And so Megiddo uh, was strategically located right on the edge of the Jezreel Valley. And because of its location and because of its importance, because whoever controlled Megiddo controlled the, 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 the world, basically. They controlled all the trade. They controlled... Everything. If you controlled Megiddo, you controlled everything. And because of that, Megiddo and the Jezreel Valley uh, became probably the most famous battleground uh, in the world. Uh, Megiddo was actually one of three cities that guarded the Via Maris trade route, but because of Megiddo's location, it was positioned right at a critical mountain pass. Uh, and so anyone who held Megiddo de determined who got to go back and forth. They, they determined that. And uh, they, uh, the Megiddo was a key to military and financial security. Uh, this next picture here is a picture of how ancient Megiddo would have looked. Uh, possibly this is an artist rendition. So here's the city of Megiddo. Here's the Via Maris coming up by Megiddo. And of course, uh, there's no way to get through if whoever controls this does not want you uh, to get through. Because of this, Megiddo has been the site of many notable battles. And we'll mention a few of these battles. In the book of Joshua, chapter number 12, and go ahead and turn there. I can see that with all this talking and explanation, you're interested, but you're getting sleepy. So go ahead and turn to Joshua, Joshua, chapter number 12, and uh, I'll point out a couple of these battles for you. This, this battle will show you that uh, um, Megiddo does go all the way back to the Canaanite period. In Joshua chapter number 12 and in verse number 7, Joshua, Joshua 12 and verse number 7, the Bible says, And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side Jordan on the west. And now from verse 7 down through uh, verse 21 uh, and on, uh, we see a list of the king 
and the country or city that king controlled that Joshua defeated. So when Joshua and the children of Israel come into the promised land, this is a list of cities and kings that they defeated when they came into the promised land. And so we see in verse number 7, these are the kings of the country that Joshua and the children of Israel smote uh, on this side of Jordan on the west. In verse number 21, the king of Tanak won the king of Megiddo won. So we see here that when Joshua came in to conquer the promised land, uh, he defeated the king of Megiddo and overtook that city. We know all about uh, uh, the battle at Jericho and we talk about that story often, uh, but we did, don't hear much about many of these battles that are listed here in chapter number 12, but we see there in verse number 21 that Joshua defeated the city of Megiddo and took it over when he came in. Another battle that we have recorded in the Word of God is in 2 Kings chapter number 9. 2 Kings chapter number 9, if you want to turn there. We'll show you this battle that took place at Megiddo. 2 Kings 9 and in verse number 27, we read here of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, fighting at Megiddo. Now we're just going to start in verse number 27, not going to read the account of the entire battle, uh, but we'll come to verse number 27 and we're in the battle. And the Bible says, But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house. And Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up to Gur, which is by Iblim. And he fled, this is Ahaziah, and he fled to Megiddo and died there. So we see here that Ahaziah was killed by Jehu uh, and he had a little bit of life left in him and he fled to Megiddo, to this city, and he died there. We see uh, that uh, King Josiah, King Josiah in 2 Chronicles chapter number 35, if you want to turn over there, 2 Chronicles chapter number 35, we see that King Josiah foolishly, went against God's leading in which Josiah was a good king. Josiah was a king that followed the Lord, but in this one instant, Josiah decided to do things his own way, take things into his own hands, and Josiah foolishly fought Pharaoh Necho and was killed at Megiddo because he did not listen to the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 35 and verse number 20, it says, After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. But he, speaking of Pharaoh, sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I came not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God hath commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God who is with me that he destroy thee not. So Pharaoh says uh, to, uh, to uh, Josiah, he's like, I I'm just passing through. I I'm going to take care of something else. I don't have any problem with you. Don't get in my way because God has go told me to go take care of this. So uh, he told me not to mess with you. So don't come out and fight with me. Uh, I'm going to go do what God has said. He says here, uh, forbear from meddling with God. God is with me. I'm doing God's business. Don't, don't mess this up. Verse number 22, nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him. Josiah was determined that he was going to go confront uh, Pharaoh at Necho. He wouldn't turn his face from him. So Josiah disguised himself that he might fight with him, and he hearkened not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God. 
and he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. Here we are again at Megiddo. And so Josiah comes up against Pharaoh Necho. And the archer shot at King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I'm sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. So we see here another battle that took place at this ancient city of Megiddo over and over and over again. We see the Bible confirming here is a battleground. The history of Israel records that this has been a battleground. I had, I didn't, I didn't include it in this lesson, but I had uh, all, the, all the more modern battles that have been fought right here in uh, this valley. This is the battleground of Israel. And we go to the Word of God and we find battle after battle after battle taking place at Megiddo. The next picture that we have here is just a, a view of uh, Megiddo. Uh, so we see here, here's the city of Megiddo. Here's the Jezreel Valley. I wanted to show you this picture to kind of give a significance of the size uh, of this location. And so we see here, and we, when we look at this, we come to the final significance of Megiddo. And this is probably what Megiddo is most well known for. And that is the prophetic importance of this location. Not only does this place have historical importance, not only uh, does it have uh, historical significance in all the discoveries we can find, not only does it verify the Word of God, but this place has prophetic uh, importance. And of course we could teach for quite a while uh, on this, but we'll try to just give you a brief overview of this. Using the Hebrew term for heel, so in Hebrew... If you're going to call something a hill, you use the word har, H-A-R. Har is the Hebrew word for hill. And so the Hebrews referred to the hill of Megiddo as Har-Megiddo. Har-Megiddo is what this is called uh, by the Hebrews. Har-Megiddo or the hill of Megiddo is what that would mean, Har-Megiddo. Uh, and when the apostle John in the book of Revelation prophesied of the gathering of armies for the battle at the end of times, he used this term, Armageddon. We know it as Armageddon in our, in our English Bible. It is this term, Armageddon. In Revelation chapter number 16, turn over to Revelation 16. Everybody likes prophecies. We'll have us a quick prophecy lesson uh, this evening. Brother Danny in his adult Sunday school class is teaching through Revelation, so I don't think he's to chapter 16 yet. So you can slide down there in a couple months and he might be getting to chapter 16. Boy, there's a lot of stuff in Revelation. Appreciate Brother Danny being willing to tackle that book, but uh, some good prophecy there. But in Revelation chapter number 16, we see Apostle John prophesying about the battle of Armageddon taking place right here at Armageddon. In Revelation 16, verse number 13, John says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Verse 15, Jesus speaking, Behold, I come as a thief, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and he see his shame. Verse number 16, returning to the thought from verse number 14, And he gathered them together, 
the satanic forces, gathered them. Who did he gather? He gathered the kings of the earth and the whole world, as we see in verse number 14. And he, the satanic influence, gathered them, the kings of the whole world, together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Here we are at the valley of of Armageddon. That is this location. This is where John prophesied there is coming a day when satanic influences will gather all the kings of the whole earth, of the whole world, will gather here, uh, led by the Antichrist, for the purpose of coming against Jerusalem and the Lord. According uh, to this passage, the battle of Armageddon will be a real battle. In the future, uh, near the end of the tribulation is when this battle will take place. Uh, as I've said, demonic influences will cause the kings of the earth to gather their armies for an all-out assault on Jerusalem. The Antichrist will be leading the charge and Jesus Christ will return to earth. And just a little side bit for you, we'll be with him. We'll be coming back with him. We'll be having a front seat on the observation deck, riding their wild horses, coming back with him. Here we will return. This is at the end of the tribulation period. We could get into a lot of things about this. Uh, but this, uh, when the tribulation enters, as the old song says, when the tribulation enters, we'll be gone. Uh, we won't be here. So all this stuff that takes place in the tribulation that people uh, talk about, I'm not going to be here for it. And so we're gone at the end of the tribulation period. The kings of the earth gather uh, the... the uh, Antichrist uh, will at first uh, say that he wants to be an ally with Israel. Uh, he will make peace with Israel three and a half years. Uh, everything will go smooth. At the end of three and a half years, he will turn it turn coat. Uh, they'll find out what a devil he really was. Uh, I'm having a hard time because there's so much I want to say right here. They'll find out what a devil uh, he really was. Uh, and uh, uh, Antichrist will turn his back on Israel. He will gather all the kings of the earth for an all-out assault on Jerusalem uh, towards the end of the second three and a half years and at this point Jesus Christ will return to earth with the armies of heaven will stand on the Mount of Olives uh, according to the book of Zechariah and he will defeat the forces of evil in the battle of Armageddon and all the armies, all the power, all the military all gathered together and with a word he will destroy everyone uh, he will cast the Antichrist and the false prophet to uh, into a lake of fire. He will bind Satan. Oh, glorious day. He will bind the devil and he will set up his kingdom. The Lord will set up his kingdom on earth and you and I will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Now let me give you just one little tidbit here. I think we got time for this tidbit. You hear folks talking and they're like, the sun is shrinking. The world's going to end. Or they'll say, the seasons are all messed up this particular winter. We've had a, a fairly mild winter this winter here in Virginia. And they're like, oh my goodness, we have a mild winter. Uh, the Bible says that the seasons will cease, which... Little secret, the Bible don't say that. But anyway, uh, some, old, uh, some old wives' tale says the seasons will cease, and so they'll say, the seasons will cease. We've had a mild winter. The world is going to end. Whatever it is, they come up with all kinds of reasons. Comet's going to hit us, and the world is going to end. Let me just give you a secret, okay? You, you can share it with whoever you want. You don't have to keep it a secret. But let me just share something with you. If Jesus was to return right now, right this very instant, the world would not end for another thousand and seven years. 
So all these people that are all worried that the world is coming in, oh my goodness, they changed the way our dollar bill looks. It must be one world currency. The world is going to end. Let me just tell you, it might indicate that Jesus is coming back, but it doesn't indicate that the world is going to disintegrate because this old globe is going to hang around for another thousand years after Jesus comes. It's just exciting to think about. Boy, I'm telling you what. And we will be here. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation chapter number 19. Turn over Revelation 19. We got time to read this account of the battle of Armageddon. Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number 11. So where we'll begin, we'll read several verses, but you bear with me. This is, this is some good reading about the victory that Christ will win when he returns. In Revelation 19, 11, it says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now let me just tie this in in the book of the Gospel of John. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. When we see this fellow mounted on the white horse with many crowns and a vesture dipped in blood, and His name is the Word of God, I believe I know who's sitting on the horse. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, And the armies which were in heaven, that's us, uh, followed him upon white horses, uh, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Myself, I don't particularly like to wear white, but I think I'll be happy to wear it that day. I believe that'll be some fine white linen that he'll give us. And out of his mouth, out of the Lord's mouth, goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. This is, that is a description of all the kings of the earth gathered together for this battle. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And we don't get much description about what happened between verse 19 and verse 20, but verse 20 says, And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Continue into chapter number 20, verse number 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up 
and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And boy, I'm telling you, that part right there grieves me because there will be people who lived a thousand years without the devil's influence under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the devil is loosed for the little season, the Bible tells us in another location that he will deceive many. What a shame. What a shame. You know what we talk about Adam and Eve and how could have they turned, how could have they eaten of the fruit, but we see it taking place here again. But it happens because God gives all men the choice whether or not they will follow him. We see in verse number 4, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Boy, I'll tell you what, looking forward to that day. When we return with the Lord and his army, we defeat the devil, the antichrist, the false prophet, all the kings of the earth, and Christ sets up his kingdom, and we rule and reign with him for a thousand years. What a day that'll be. And don't mistake, this isn't heaven yet. This is the millennial reign. Heaven is after this. Heaven gets so much better. Now we've been to heaven and we've celebrated and ate the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. Can you imagine? Seven year feast. Boy, setting up our marriage supper of the Lamb. After that we come back, defeat the armies of the world and the Lord sets up his kingdom for a thousand years and that battle takes place. There. It went away, but there's where it happened at Megiddo. But uh, Boy, I'm telling you what, looking forward to that day when the Lord is victorious. You know what? When you wonder whose side you ought to be on, I want to be on the Lord's side because I like being on the winning side. So hopefully uh, you enjoyed that look at Megiddo. I know we looked at just some factual things about it, but boy, I believe that application at the end of seeing how the Lord is going to come back victorious at that location, it just tells us that the Word of God is true. And I believe that day's close. I believe the day that He returns is coming near. So thank the Lord for that. Alrighty, we'll go ahead and move into our prayer request.